Welcome to the worst case scenario. In this Cybercrime Radio series, we discuss with cybersecurity professionals how to survive alligator attacks, escape a sinking ship, and how to navigate without GPS. Turn left. Along the way, we'll discover how these worst case scenarios relate to cybersecurity. I'm your host, Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today is Heather Engel, Managing Partner of Strategic Cyber Partners. Welcome, Heather. So great to have you back on the Worst Case Scenario. Hi, Hillary. Thanks again for having me. So, Heather, for today's topic, we're going to talk about shark attacks. And last episode, we talked quickly about the unrealistic expectations set by Hollywood as far as you know, how many doors we'd have to kick down in our lifetime. And similarly, based on all of the movies I watched growing up, I thought and still think that I'm going to get attacked by a shark and need to figure <laughs> out how to survive. So Heather, to start, you know, if we find ourselves in shark infested waters, what do we do? In my head, it's as simple as like kicking their nose or poking their eyes, but I feel like that's wrong. Well, I think you're partly right. And so when I went to do some research for this series, which by the way, is a lot of fun researching these things compared to what I'm usually researching, how do I survive a shark attack? <laughs> what I found was really interesting in that sharks don't have any sensitive digits. So they don't have hands or feet to explore things. And so the way they explore is by biting, right? So they're just testing you to see if you are a food source. It's not necessarily a malicious attack like we were taught to believe, you know, with jaws and things like that. Obviously, if you disturb a shark, then yes, they may attack as a provoked attack, but they're still ultimately just trying to determine if you're a threat or a food source. So anyway, our research shows that kicking their nose and poking is correct you want to go straight forward and not try to do an overhand because right overhand, you have to cut through the water and it's going to be a lot harder. So you want to just go straight on. So according to CNN and some of the other research that I did, the first thing to do is don't panic. Keep your eye on the animal. Don't let them get behind you because sharks can attack in a number of different ways. Sometimes they'll come straight on and sometimes they'll circle you for a while. But what the universal advice was, which I thought was interesting, is, is you don't play dead. So there was mixed advice on whether you should try to make yourself look as big as possible so that the shark will just turn around and go the other way. And then there are some situations where you may want to curl yourself into a ball and hope that they won't notice you. The research was a little bit unclear as to which you should use in any given situation. So you just have to take that for what it's worth. Interesting. Well, I... I'm still in New England, but I've spent most of my life in Maine. And with the waters getting warmer, sharks are traveling further, up Great Whites in particular. And maybe it was last year or the year before in the summer. The ocean is still very cold even the summer in Maine. But a, a woman was wearing a black wetsuit and she got attacked and died from a shark because she looked like a seal is what they thought. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that really came up when I was researching how to survive the attack obviously, is is you don't want to be in that situation in the first place, right? And so we can draw a really nice parallel to cybersecurity here that's near and dear to my heart, which is we want to reduce the risk of a shark attack in the first place. So the way that we would do that is we stay in groups. As if you're a solitary individual, you're more likely to be bit. We only go in the water during the day and we don't go in 
late at night or, you know, as the sun's going down. You want to avoid areas with a lot of fish or even fishermen because they're putting things in the water that, you know, are going to attract fish, which will in turn attract sharks. And then this one I thought was interesting. Don't wear jewelry because the jewelry can create reflections like a fish scale, which can be confusing for the shark. And again, they're going to want to bite you and see if you're a food source. And then finally, avoiding splashing at the surface because it makes a sound which will also potentially attract sharks. So there's our risk management profile for trying to not get into the position where you would be potentially bitten by a shark in the first place. Yeah, definitely. So to continue that parallel, what do you consider the shark attack of cybersecurity, I guess? And maybe some would say it's ransomware. Some would say it's malware. I don't know. You mm-hmm. know, I'd love to hear that from you. Yeah, I had to think about this one a little bit. And then it came to me and I thought, you know, remember that the sharks aren't necessarily attacking you. They're testing you to see if you're food. And so I think the shark attack of cybersecurity is really internet facing assets or assets that are in a DMZ. So these are assets that belong to your organization. They're out there in the open waters of the internet. So an example might be a web application that your employees need to get to or even an application that you want users to have access to, right? Your customers have access to those. APIs, which is something that we use to allow different systems to talk to each other. Sometimes those systems aren't on the same network, and those are going to be open-facing out on the internet in the open waters. SSH servers or VPN gateways, cloud services, internet-facing firewalls, anything really that's remotely accessible is what we would consider to be an internet-facing asset. And we talk a lot about attacks that happen due to a weakness. And one of the biggest weaknesses is assets that aren't configured properly, especially if they're not within a protected boundary. So when you get out in the open waters of the internet, if you have an asset that hasn't been configured properly, then you are opening yourself up potentially to the shark attack of cybersecurity, right? We know that attackers very often will just test defenses and they don't have a real goal in mind. Very often they haven't gone after a particular organization. It's just happenstance. They uncovered a flaw or they uncovered a misconfiguration that they were then able to exploit. So with internet-facing assets, this is your attack surface. And the larger your organization, the longer you've been around, the more likely there are to be assets that are misconfigured. And what we see a lot is that attacks happen because there was an internet-facing asset that the company wasn't even aware of. And so these are some of the things to keep in mind. To me, that's the really the shark attack of cybersecurity. You've got these internet-facing assets out in the open waters of the internet, and maybe you've put some flashy jewelry on and now it looks like a fish, or maybe it was just misconfigured. It was wrong place, wrong time. And so they say to not get into the mud with a pig. I'm not sure what the (laughs) equivalent is for for sharks, but, um, you know, do we have any choice when it comes to getting into these dark waters with cyber criminals? Well, we don't really. I mean, today, the way that the economy runs and the way that most businesses run, we really don't have a choice, right? We're going to be out in the open waters of the internet. So what we need to do is we need to take the steps that you and I talk about a lot on these podcasts and reduce our cyber risk. So the first thing that I would say is understanding your data, really controlling who needs access to that data, 
making sure that you have a good configuration management program, particularly for any assets that are internet facing. It's important for assets that are within your boundary as well, but anything that's out on the open internet, we really, really have to make sure that it's locked down as tightly as possible. We're limiting the ports, protocols, and services that are able to go through that asset. We want to map our attack surface. We have to know what internet-facing assets are out there in order to protect them. And that's also going to be really useful if we start to perceive an attack happening, right? Let's say we have an auditing tool and that starts throwing up warnings that someone's trying to penetrate our defenses. If we're not understanding what assets are covered and we're not managing those assets properly, then we're going to miss things on the attack surface. And that would be a potential entry point that's a blind spot, right? That's like taking your eyes off the shark. Obviously using multi-factor authentication so that there's more than just a password protecting your infrastructure is one of those things that we talk about that's widely known to help us reduce our cyber risk. Maintaining backups of your systems so that you can recover when you're swimming in these dark waters and a cyber criminal maybe attacks or brings down your infrastructure, you want to be able to bring your infrastructure back up so that you can get back to business. And then finally, testing our defenses. And this is one that we don't talk a whole lot about, but penetration testing, doing some scans just to see what vulnerabilities are out there. These are really important for managing and reducing your cyber risk. And I almost put that in the category of understanding our data, right? We have to understand if we have personally identifiable information or protected information, but we also have to understand what the data looks like when we try to breach our own defenses, because then we can close those holes before an attacker has a chance to find them. And so do you think all cyber shark attacks are created equal? All cyber attacks are definitely not created equal. You know, this is really influenced by how prepared you are. But there are things that are out of our control that we don't necessarily have the ability to manage. We just have to plan for it, right? So the industry that I'm in, if I'm working on sensitive government projects, I might be more of a target than someone who has a small home-based business, right? How prominent your business is, what type of data you have, really features in when we're talking about opportunity versus motive. A lot of the businesses that get attacked, as I said earlier, are a product of opportunity. They had a misconfigured asset. They had someone who had a password breach versus motive. Some of the bigger companies that we talk about in these podcasts, obviously they're targets, right? Attackers are out there specifically going after and targeting that company either for recognition, right? The name recognition of bringing down a really big company or maybe accessing the data. So yeah, our cyber attacks are not equal, but we can control for it a little bit just by being prepared. Any final advice for anyone, especially CISOs and security leaders who need to survive the figurative shark attacks out there in their respective oceans? Yeah. And this is one that really features in, I think, when you are a CISO or a security leader or a CIO, as with a shark attack, we talked about how being part of a group can help minimize the attack. Don't go solo, right? So what I would say here, as far as advice is get help where you need it. Don't be afraid to ask for help or to say, we feel like this area is a blind spot for us. Let's bring in an expert who can really tell us and show us what it is that we need to do to close that gap or reduce that risk. IT security has so many specialized disciplines and being part of a group, whether it's hiring a professional to be on your team, 
becoming part of a security ISAC, which is basically an information sharing community, joining industry organizations, those can really help you stay on top of whatever might be lurking in the waters. Excellent. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great conversation. I'm looking forward to next time. Yep. These are always a lot of fun. And like I said, I love researching the topic (laughs) and then finding those parallels. Absolutely. We'll throw a good one at you next time as well. Okay. (laughs) I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today on The Worst Case Scenario was Heather Engel, Managing Partner of Strategic Cyber Partners. To listen to our other podcasts, visit us at cybercrime.radio. And for all of our other media, visit us at cybercrimemagazine.com.